when I'm around this person, I feel a bit deflated. Um, maybe they're energy vampires. You know, you've got energy before you get to them. And when you're with them and you leave, you're like exhausted. And you're like, that is totally an indication, a red flag to say, you've outgrown this person, time to find a new tribe, right? Welcome to the Kelly Bloomberg Podcast. I am your host, business mentor, personal brand and style expert on somewhat of a personal mission to inspire a minimum of five people daily to take action, to do something different or just to show up as the best person they aspire to be. I do that by inviting guests on the show every week. So if you are one of my five a day, yay, I'm so happy. Drop us a review or come and say hi on Instagram. I'd love to meet you. So in today's episode, I speak to Australia's leading love and relationship expert, Dr. Love. She specializes in helping people navigate the ups and downs of relationships, both romantic and platonic. Now, we could have spoken for hours. We didn't, by the way, but I definitely think that uh, she could come back on because, you know, relationships, they are everything in life. Great personal ones that we have with family and friends, to lovers, to significant others, to making the most of business relationships. So what do you do if you feel that maybe you and a friend are not on the same path anymore? Or how do you unfriend them in the nicest way? Or do you even need to? So we talk about this to creating that Oscar-worthy love life that you so deserve. So here we go, without further ado, Dr. Love has all the answers. Welcome to the show, Dr. Love, it's great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. The, now, this all kind of came together. We've got a mutual friend, uh, Natasha yeah. Hathaway, and you also used to live in Dubai. So I thought we were going to start with that. So we've actually never met before. But as soon as she shared your profile, I was like, you have to speak to Dr. Love. She's got great content. And as soon as I looked at your website, I was like, this is exactly the person that I would love to interview. So maybe just give me a little bit of backstory. What were you doing in Dubai? And then you moved back from the accent home to Australia. So maybe just a bit of a backstory as to, to... where and how we all got together. Yeah. So I sort of um, moved to Dubai uh, probably about, it's been seven years since I've been in Dubai, actually. I moved there really just for a sea change. I just wanted a little bit of an adventure and it was a little bit of a temporary thing. So I didn't get caught up in the whole, oh goodness me, I'm leaving my family or I'm leaving my friends forever. It was never like that. It was bon voyage and I'll see you soon. So I was just like a year, two years maybe, and I'll work out wherever I land. And most people do that experience on their own, but I actually lugged a whole family with me. So three children and myself. And I was like, we're going on an adventure and we're going to Dubai. And they're like, what? (laughs) So I landed in Dubai and the kids went into an international school there. And I was fortunate enough to land a really cool role uh, while I was in Dubai. So not only did I do some extras work and some TV presenting and and things like that, but I also landed a role with EY. So I worked in the corporate industry while I was there as a coach. And that was a really, really, really good experience for me. I really got to understand Dubai from the perspective of someone living there and a mother, but also someone in the corporate world and working among other women and men sort of working up that corporate ladder. So it was really, really good experience for me. 
And how long were you in Dubai for until you were like, right, no, it's time for me to lug the family back to Australia? I would never have left. I didn't want to leave. I loved Dubai. I loved what it was able to give me as a woman. And I know um, I, when I say that to my Aussie friends, they were like, what do you mean? You're in the Middle East and you're saying you that there's so much opportunity, you right? You can't drive, you like, can't drink, you can't do anything. You're like, no. I said, <laughs> I said, I will tell you, being in Dubai really opened up my eyes. I call it a woman's country because we as women can do so much in a country like Dubai. It really does open up opportunity for us to have a career, to have a family, to be able to have all of those domesticated duties looked after so that we can do the stuff that we love. And unfortunately, in a place like Australia, and I'm not sure if the UK is the same, but we don't have those resources. Mm. We don't, we, we've got to do the hard yards ourselves. So we've got to be the stay-at-home mum. We've got to be the breadwinner. We've got to be the house cleaner, the cook, the person that picks up the children and runs the errands and the soccer mum. And we've got to be everything and try and do it really well. And what I found Dubai didn't have me doing that. I yeah. could be mum and really enjoy being mum. Yeah. And I could be at work and really enjoy being at work. So the freedom it gave me, and I did not want to leave. I'm like, I'm not ready to leave. But another business opportunity came up in another state in Australia. So I am from Sydney, Australia, but in Adelaide, it brought us back to Australia and we went to South Australia. So that's why I made the move. But I was not planning to go in anywhere. Dubai had my heart. Oh, <laughs> that's such a lovely story because, you know, you hear it from so many different angles about, you know, I mean, I, Dubai's been my home for 18 years. I, I love yeah. it. And it's, it's brought me so much and the opportunities. And it was, it's just a really nice way that you've explained it. So where did, or what, so what was the next steps into, I guess you went from corporate ladder um, yeah. working with EY into back to Australia then. And then is this yeah. where what you're sort doing now happened? Into, to yeah. well, I've always, even though I was in the corporate world, I've always worked in relationships because I was a coach and a relationship manager. So mm-hmm. really being Dr. Love is all about relationships and people. Now, not necessarily intimate relationships, any relationship. It could be a corporate relationship. It could be a colleague. It could be a sibling. It could be a parent. It could be a neighbor. It could be a friend and it could be a lover. Whatever it is, it's the dynamic of a relationship. And so I found even through my corporate work, a lot of the work that I'm doing now is so relevant. It's Mm -hmm. so relevant to relationships because we're all people. uh, We're all motivated by different things. And we all have an emotional response to some type of trigger. So it all sort of works out the same, really. It's really like this kind of stuff should be taught in school because relationships are the fundamental aspect to life. Like you say, they cross so many boundaries. You know, the relationship you have with your kids, your parents, like it's it's huge. And how you deal with each one of those, given that we're not born perfect. (laughs) And we yeah. have, what was it you called it? An emotional trigger. We've all got yeah, one triggers. of those that people, it really winds us up or, or whatever. Right. It's how you kind of we've, we've, we've normally got a lot of triggers. We're always being like triggered somewhere, triggered at work, triggered at home, triggered by kids, triggered by husbands, triggered by TV commercial, whatever it is. We've got triggers everywhere. And they come, a lot of them come from beliefs that we sort of developed through our upbringing and our childhood and what it brings up for us personally. But I really, when I think about relationships, I think it doesn't matter where you are, 
And I see this even, and we've got a very similar clientele. I, I have a lot of successful women that I work with and, you know, relationships should be studied at school just the same way that money and finances should. And, you know, it's the business of money and it's the business of relationships. And if you know how to run a business, you know how to run a relationship. It's very, very simple. Uh, we just make it really difficult. Yeah, I remember when you know when I got married, and and when I, when I look at relationships and stuff, I always maybe this is in the cold light of day, and you can tell me otherwise. But I always thought, maybe it's because I had a business. I'm trying to justify this here, but I thought <laughs> that our our uh, my my marriage or my relationship with my partner at the time as as a business relationship that I had to put work into it. Because I think a lot of people, when you're talking about a significant other, um, I, I just, I saw so many people not working at it. And it's like, I work damn hard right. at my business. So why would I not treat my relationship as a business? So is that right. wrong or right? No, you hit the nail on the head because that language sits really good with people that do well in business because okay. they're like, I don't do relationships good. And I said, do you do, do you do business well? Yeah, I'm really good at business. And I said, if you can be really good at business, you can be really good at the business of relationships as well, right? Because what happens is that you start to think of it as if you've got a business, normally most of my clients have put in a lot of time, mm -hmm. effort. Normally, most of them have a really big why, why they're doing this. What is it? What's their passion and a lot of them also, it's a business. So they're looking on a return on investment. So they're going to spend a lot of time, effort, money, and they want something back. And that's the same as relationships. If you're going to spend time on your relationship, if you are going to put the effort in, if you have a really big enough why to make this relationship work, the return on in the investment is so worth it that you actually keep working at it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember also thinking about that business transaction. I read in an article, so I don't know if you know Michelle Moan. She started um, a very successful underwear line. I mean, she's been around for a long time. And I think yeah. one of her models at the time was Elle McPherson. And, and Michelle Moan was, was quite overweight. She's saying it's not yeah. me. And Elle uh, McPherson had said to her, you know, you're, you run an incredibly successful business. So Michelle was saying, and, and this is me reading it in the, the article, but I just can't seem to lose the weight. And yeah. my person said, well, why don't you treat your body like the business? You run an incredibly successful business, right. so treat your body the same. And for her, she said that was the game changer for me because she's like, I knew yeah. I would do it. Right. So, so that's, and that's, the, that's with anything. If you're really good at something and you take the skill that you used to be really good at that thing, whether you're really good at relationships and not very good at business or good at business and not good at relationships. But if you take that skill, it's transferable. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. I'm, right. I'm it's the same skill. Yeah. It's the same, like it's like the same currency, but just in a different form. Would that be right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You just take it and say, okay, well, you know, I know how to stay focused. So I can just be focused here. The place where we trip up is that we don't have a big enough why. Okay. And a lot of people lose the big why in a relationship. It's not worth it. I don't know what I'm going to get back. But they're basing that opinion on half-hearted efforts in past relationships. So they haven't had that return on investment because their investment's been at a 50% or a 40%. So that's how much they've gotten back. Yeah. But if they ran their business like that, it would probably be bankrupt and you wouldn't have a business. 
And that's what happens to relationships. Mm, and re- relationships are so many forms. So we'll get into the the, the intimate relationships. Let's <laughs> I've got one from a sort of, you know, in business, they talk about, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. It's really important that you're surrounded by great people. What happens? And then, you know, maybe you can give some ideas and tips. What if you don't want to be friends with someone anymore? Like, what if you're not getting that return on investment, which some people would be like, well, that's really callous. But what if there's just, you know, that you've outgrown that person? How do you stop being in a relationship with someone? And I don't mean a significant other. Yep. Yep. So sometimes that just means proximity. It means less time, less investment. It doesn't need to be really harsh or hurtful. What you you find is that the people you start to outgrow, you also start to put space between you and them. Mm. So proximity is king here. So the more you the less time you start you spend with these people, the less likely you are to have anything to do with them at some stage. So if you think of it as progressive rather than I'm not your friend today and it's yeah. quite abrupt and be a bit offensive. But you start to notice that you grow apart from people, not overnight. You start to feel it for a couple of months and you're thinking, you know what, I'm not feeling it. I'm feeling a bit stale. When I'm around this person, I feel a bit deflated. Um, Maybe they're energy vampires. You know, you've got energy before you get to them. And when you're with them and you leave, you're like exhausted and you're like, that is totally an indication, a red flag to say, you've outgrown this person, time to find a new tribe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a delicate way of doing it. You don't need to be hurtful through this. It's mm-hmm. people evolve at different rates. Some people don't evolve at all, and that's okay. You really have the responsibility for yourself to keep progressing if you want to reach your goals. Because if you don't progress, then you stay stagnant. And that's when we start to get other things that happen for us in regards to mental health, anxiety, depression. You start to feel flat. And people are wondering, why am I flat? Well, because you're your environment and the people you're around are keeping you small Mm. and you're not growing. And if you think about human nature, if you liken us to like a plant or a tree, if we're not watering that plant, that plant dies. And us as humans are the same. If we are not watering, if we are not nourishing our growth, we start to feel dead. And that's that feeling of staleness and feeling stuck. So it's really important to notice the relationships you've outgrown. It doesn't mean you're better than them and it doesn't mean that you don't respect them. It just means that you're ready for a new adventure and you can do that quite respectfully. Just honour the fact that you're not on the same path anymore and give yourself space. Proximity is going to help you here. Yeah, and that's a case of maybe going from so sort of practical examples would be if you're used to calling them every week reduce it to every yeah. month is that kind of that sort of thing or yeah 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 all the, the conversations instead of being a half an hour yarn about not much it might be hey I've got 10 minutes I wanted to pop in just to say hi I'm thinking of you but I'm really busy and I've got to keep moving and what you'll find is that you know they will understand that those conversations are getting a bit smaller and those people start to have those half an hour yarns with somebody else, not yeah, you anymore. Yeah. So it's okay. It's not, it's not that they're going to feel offended. I think that they notice that you guys have grown apart and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm, really good tips. Really, really good tips. Okay. So maybe just kind of staying in the relationships, maybe moving into intimate relationships. 
And then I want to go in and talk about business and, and from your okay. perspective as yep. well. There, we could talk about so much here because it's such a amazing yep. topic. So what are some of the most common mistakes you see people make in an intimate relationship? So I talked about, you know, me looking at it in a business perspective. But what are some yep. of the mistakes that people make? The biggest mistake that I see the most common is that people are drawn to a type and they don't learn from being with their type. And I'll give you an example, right? Some women, men, doesn't matter your sexual orientation, but if you're attracted to a type and the type is unhealthy and it's going to leave you in heartache, what ends up happening is that you wrap up that relationship, you get into another relationship, but you get into a relationship with the same person just in a different body. They just look different, but they're actually the same person. And then you're like, how did I do this? They look so different. You know, this, this guy's like baldy and built and got tattoos and this guy's wearing a suit and petite, petite and quite feminine, but how they're so different, but they're not. They're, they're almost the same person just in a different body. So this is the most common thing that I see is that people are not aware of their type. And if they are, they're not aware on, of how they can do that different. How can you work out your type? Like, is, is, it, is there like a checklist? Is it like, what are, the, <laughs> what are the same things that I've seen in everyone? Because when you say it like yeah. that, people think, oh, you've got a type by looks. Oh, I go for no. But you described two completely different looking people, right. but they were the same type of person. So how do you know what type of person? How, how can you identify that? Normally, if you look at your past relationships, if you have a type, you would see very similar behaviors. So if you were with, with, we'll talk, for instance, about a heterosexual relationship, if a woman and a man together, and we're talking in the instance about a woman, and she continually finds a man that is unavailable. Mm. And she'll, you know, leave him. He didn't have time for me. I was very lonely in that relationship. Meet someone else. He sort of love bombs her in the beginning. And she's like, oh my God, this is great. I've got all of this attention. And a couple of months later, he's absent again. And she just finds that there's a theme going on in her relationships where these men are are absent. And I'm not sure why, because I go out anticipating and putting out there that I'm going to find a man that has time for me. And she turns around and she says to me, but in the beginning, he had a lot of time for me. Of course he did. And usually the first three weeks, they all do. It's just then once that three week, right, that 21 day, and I say 21 is the golden number, the 21 day rule is when you've reached that 21 days of him love bombing you, just watch this space because Mm -hmm. that's when you start to see the old patterns come up. Mm -hmm. And so what we find is that when you start to pick apart some of your past relationships, that's going to be very indicative of what your future relationships are going to look like unless you've done the work. So I was going to say what someone could do if they listen to this would be sit down and kind of go through all of their past relationships and, and yeah. think about some of the things that have been recurring or that they've noticed yeah. rather than... Yeah, so what, yep. what are some of the themes? What is similar about them? They may have differences. He treated me much better, but he was absent. Or he had a lot more financial stability, but he was away a lot. So what are the themes coming through in these relationships? And I would say, not only looking at your intimate relationships, but also go back to the relationship you had with your father. 
Mm, it all stems back to that, doesn't it? Right. Whether, so, whether you have one or not. Right. So, right, if you had one or not. So if you had one, what type of relationship you had with the first man in your life, whether it's an adopted father, a stepfather, a grandfather, the first significant male in your life and what that was like, and then look at any familiar patterns that have happened after that in your relationships and just see if there's some themes. And if there are some themes coming up for you and you think, you know what, my stepdad that I grew up with cheated on my mum. And then my first husband cheated on me. Mm. And my next partner didn't cheat on me, but then was started to gamble. But the theme is, is a betrayal. Mm-hmm. Okay. And betrayal looks, it looks and feels the same, but can take different forms. So it may not be cheating with someone else or a mistress or whatever. It might be hiding money. It may be gambling. It may be taking drugs, but at the end of the day, it's betrayal. Mm -hmm. And so that's the theme coming through. So that's definitely something they could do is look at what themes are evident in their past relationships. So that's if someone's maybe in a relationship or looking to go into someone new. I mean, many of the clients that I mentor are female and they focus on their career a long time. And they, they maybe want to really meet someone. And I don't know whether this is maybe a Dubai thing, that they find it hard to meet someone or whether that when you kind of get to that late 30s, that you know what you want more and you're less willing to, to tolerate, I guess. And so yeah. what would kind of be your advice? And when, when I did it, um, so a couple of years ago, I went on holiday and I was like, right, I'm really ready to meet someone. And I did mm-hmm. this whole desire statement. And found exactly who it was I wanted to meet, the type of person described him. There were so many things within that statement that I wanted. And then eight weeks later, I I met him. And it wasn't until he he was in Edinburgh, actually. And it wasn't until he came to Dubai that I said to him before he came, I was like, in my bathroom, there's a desire statement. And I said, and it describes you. And I didn't write this after I mean, <laughs> no, he's going to think I'm really nuts. I said, I wrote this before I met you. And this is what we've got. So that's what I did. <laughs> and he was like, no, I believe you. <laughs> and Kelly saw it, but Kelly was like, are you real? Like, are you real? <laughs> no. Do you know what's even, even freakier to the point that I wrote down a word that I wanted him to say? So I wanted someone to say they're beautiful to me. I wanted that because I hadn't had that before. So to me, that meant something. On our first yep. date, he said it. Right. Yeah. You so, really so put it out there, didn't I you? Did. And, and, and now we're apart. It's funny. He uses that word a lot. But uh, anyway, um, that's what so, I did. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, Kelly, when you did that, what space were you in? Like, have you had already relationships? Were you at a, a time in your life where you were willing to accept love and receive love? Because a lot of the times women are saying, I want a relationship, I want to meet somebody, but they're so close to receiving love that even if it walked past them with a coat on it saying, I'm your next relationship, they still wouldn't let him in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely was. I was on holiday with my mom. It was April time and we'd had, like, we're in the Seychelles, which I love. It's my yeah, old place and it's stunning. Yeah. And I just was at such peace. I was so happy with myself. And I'm like, I'm really ready for this. And I know I want this. And, and that was it. 
But how that actually came about was, no, I didn't. My mum put me on Bumble. That's how I met him. So it was kind of- Go mum! Where's your mum? We need her on my show. She said, she did this thing actually. And she said, she said, I think it's time that you go on a dating app. Let's put you on Bumble. This was when I was home in Edinburgh. And I was like, I'm not going on a dating app. And she was like, no, I'll do all the chatting for you. I'll just pretend I'm you. And then let's have some fun. So we honestly had this bottle of wine one afternoon. We sat and swiped. This would have been two months after it was April. And this was the end of May, say, June time. And um, yeah, and I think my mom had great fun that weekend because then she was just chatting away (laughs) to everyone. But this is the thing. Even though I was ready, I wasn't ready to go on a dating app. But that happened to be where I met him. Right. So there's a couple of standout things that you said in that sort of scenario. And the first thing was you were really happy with yourself. Mm. Okay. So you were personally in a good place. That's really important because if you're not in a good place and you start to want to date, you tend to attract someone that's also not in a good place. And so you have pretty bad experiences in relationships. Mm. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that was one of the standout things that you said. The other thing you said is your mum and yourself went on the dating app and you said, let's have some fun. And so a lot of people go on these dating apps really like, this is not fun, quite rejecting the idea. And if they could just jump on and go, let's just have some fun, they might meet someone that also is just having some fun and it becomes quite lighthearted. And you actually end up finding someone that's quite like similar to you yeah. and uh, without the limitation of it, oh my God, I'm on an app and I don't do apps without that whole, you know, mindset. So those two are the standouts. Most of the women that I work with is, okay, so how can you have fun in dating? And are you really happy with yourself and you're not? If you're not, let's sort you out so then you can get on the app, have fun and then meet somebody. Yeah, perfect. I'll I'll add a little funny note in here actually about it. Um, So when Graham, my partner, came up. I was yeah. like, oh my God, mom, I went to school with him. And there's a whole nother story there. So we were actually, we kissed at school prom, but then never saw each other after it. Um, right. So that aside, um, as soon as he kind of came up and, and we started talking, I said, mom, I'm, I'm doing this one because I know him. But she had yeah. so much fun on the, the app. And then one <laughs> of these days, I picked up the app to chat to someone. And the guy said to me, He's like, you were much more interesting and much more fun yesterday. And I was like, oh my God, that was my mom. <laughs> so we can't say that you got it from your mama, right? <laughs> she was just loving it. So, I mean, and, 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 and that was just a kind of side note. And I said to mom, I was like, maybe there's like a business here for you. Because I think like a lot of that kind of hassle is actually having the kind of communication yeah. stuff. And- yeah. So it's the banter. A lot of women that have sort of done business quite successful. Can I like say bullshit on this show? I'm not sure, but you know, <laughs> they like to cut the bullshit. They just want to get to the point. They don't want all the mucking around or the messing around. Really? They just, right. So that sort of banter for them would be like, oh, just cut the crap. Like can't be bothered. I just want, give me results. And I want them today. Right. But are you saying it needs to be the other way around? They need to have a bit more of the banter. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because then it gives them, see, if it becomes fun, you don't mind the banter because it's about being curious. It's about exploring. And I say to people, go out in the dating game 
to explore and get curious. Dating is a numbers game, whether you like it or not. You're going to kiss a few frogs before you get to the prince. Because we understand that in business a lot. Right, right, right. How many of your clients, successful clients, have failed, fallen, you know, probably made a wrong strategic decision and then have turned around and said, right, back to the drawing board, what do we need to do? Recoup, re-strategize and let's execute and just get on with it. They don't just say, okay, we made a mistake, let's pack up and go. Mm It doesn't work like that. They're successful because they did something that wasn't successful and they learned from it and they kept going and they weren't going to give up. They just had that drive and they were like, I'm not giving up. I've got to find another way. Yeah. Okay. So just to kind of take some of the key points out of that. So if someone's in this space now that they're maybe not in a relationship that they want to be, so being in the headspace that they're happy with themselves. Right. Yep. And if they're looking at things like dating apps, which I think a lot of people are at the moment, given, you know, climate and what have you, um, look at it as fun rather than it being a headache. Because that's all I hear from other people is, it's it's such a ball like to do this and, you know, I can't be bothered. So see it from a a fun, fun factor and enjoy the banter rather than going, where can I get the quick results? Right. And if you liken it to business, it would be getting resourceful. Right, you go out and you're you're pitching to the field. You're like, let me see who's got the best offer. Let me see who I like. Who's on brand for me? Mm, nice. Who's on brand for me? Love it. Love right. it. Love <laughs> it. Um, I saw in your um, your website, your your quote says, you know, turn your love life into a best selling Oscar. This is yeah. a brilliant line. But what does that mean? So I, I loved it and really resonated because I absolutely love the Oscars. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> maybe from the fashion and the style perspective. What does that maybe mean to your clients? Or maybe I'm kind of tapping into your personal brand here a little bit. Like what does, yeah. what does that mean? So really it's everyone has a story. Everyone has a story to tell. And it could be a rags to riches story. It could be an abandonment to an unconditional love story. Everyone's story is is there and it shouldn't go unnoticed. And so what happens, us as humans, we really get caught up in our story, whether it's helpful or unhelpful, and we don't see our options. We don't really see another ending or another solution because we really identify with a story. But the story is not us. And so when someone works with me, I really advocate for them being the author of their own story, Mm -hmm. for them saying, I can write this story however I like. And so they really can go from rags to riches if they choose to. And so it's really giving them the power to say, what is it that I want in my life? How do I want it to look? And what's my desire statement? What is it that I desire for myself, for my heart, for my, my job, for my lifestyle? What is it? And there's no out of bounds here. There's no wrong. There's no right because this totally is personal. Mm. And so I give them the space to be able to do that, to be able to rewrite the story if they want. And it might be revisiting the story that they're identified with and really looking at some of those limiting beliefs that have put them in a position to keep themselves small and rewriting that history and really what it does mean as an adult and then writing the ending of what they want it to look like and really making it an, that, you know, award-winning story for them. 
So when your boyfriend comes to your room to your house, he sees it on the bathroom toilet. Because <laughs> I have a mirror <laughs> in the bathroom. And you turn around and you go, you're just part of the story. You were just part of the story. <laughs> Love it. Well, let's touch a little bit more on that sort of, because when it comes to, you know, when I work specifically with, you know, female entrepreneurs now in the personal branding yeah. space, and a huge part of that is about telling stories. So you are in an industry or a niche of relationships, but quite intimate, some taboo subjects, you know, how do you manage to tell stories? How do you brand yourself? Like, how does that work? And what can be quite delicate situations, I guess? Yeah, yeah, it is delicate because a lot of the content that I produce and put out there is about things that we don't generally talk about, especially as women, you know, being open about our sexuality, about how we want to experience love, intimate relationships, you know, things in the from in the bedroom, the way we exchange love. A lot of that, we don't have platforms to talk about that and feel comfortable. And so I do that from a space of education. So obviously finding out all the facts and, you know, what's in front of me and then communicating, communicating it in a way that is sensitive to the individual, but also really relatable. Mm. And you'll find anyone that sort of is in any type of business that's a little bit taboo or needs to sort of shake some of the boundaries. The reason why they're successful is because they're going there, but they're going there in a way that is sensitive to their own brand, but also to the individual. Mm. Because we're sort of pioneering in this field. Well, I know I am because I'm sort of trying to really make it common practice to be able to speak about this stuff. It's not something that should be spoken about inside your four walls. It's something that you should be able to speak to a colleague with or a teacher with at school, because then it puts us in a position of power to then write our story. But if everything is wrong, if everything makes us feel dirty or guilty or not ladylike, we really are not put in the driver's seat of our own life. Mm. Mm. So did that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, no, it did. And so I guess maybe to take the little bits out of that is sort of maybe make it in a nutshell is to do it in a way, if I'm right in what you're saying, is, you know, it's telling stories as part of it, but doing it in a way yeah. that brand representative for you, but also, you know, aware of, of your client. That was very that aware of your client. So you've got to be very aware and it doesn't matter what business you're in. You've got to be, re- and, and you would know all about this, is be very clear about what your brand is and, and your how you're at, your message. How do you want to come across? And not just how do you want to come across, but how do you want to be received? And so you, you spend some time working out the best way to communicate that with the people that are listening. Because at the end of the day, not everyone is going to listen to you. Everyone's going to have a niche market yeah. and you've got to get clear on, how is your niche market going to receive the message that you're giving? Because that's all that matters at the end of the day. Yeah. How do your clients find you? So what, what have you found has been one of your best sort of marketing methods to, to grow your business, you know, having come, moved and, and resettled back into to Australia and in a new state? Yeah, yeah. See, social media has been a godsend for me. And although it's difficult to sort of build that in my space, because a lot of people are private, they don't want their spouse to know they're following a love and relationship coach or they don't want the people at work to know that they're following. But I think because I've become quite a neutral 
influencer in this space. I, re- I don't just represent people that are going through bad relationships. I'm an advocate for self-love, you know, um, relationships in business. I think it's a lot easier for them to come and follow me and engage. So it definitely would be uh, social media and a lot of the the media presence that I have. So people see me as a um, an identity, an authority in the industry. Mm-hmm. So they really do trust me. And I think any brands that are being put in the media or out there in publication, you start to build this like no trust sort of mentality with our followers and you know, they trust me. I'm going to tell you the truth. And I have all of my, the people watching me or following me, I have their best interests at heart and my integrity is there. And I've shown it time and time again, every time I show up, I show up on brand and I show up educated in whatever I'm delivering. And I don't waver from that. Mm-hmm. And I think that consistency in brand is what builds the trust for those people that are into and listening to what I have to say. Absolutely. And you've been in so many publications I've seen on your, you know, your websites and, yeah. and you just honestly, I've seen that so many times in presentations um, and, and masterclasses. If you want to build your personal brand, it is about building that credibility, that authority piece. And the way to do that is by doing it consistently on your social media, yeah. but it is also um, getting publications or becoming um, seen in publications as that expert right. in the field. And I will say to you, Kelly, it's not an easy run. Mm. It's this is a slow burn. So how right? it's not. So Doctor Love uh, was launched November two thousand and eighteen. Okay, so it's been um, obviously before that. I was in uh, private practice, so I was seeing couples for you know ten odd years before that. But the branding of Doctor Love and my my pseudo name or my alter ego, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) sort of came out in November 2018 after a radio interview and they said, you're the love doctor. And I was like, that's a really cool name. And so I went with Dr. Love and it sort of just branded itself, but it's a slow burn. I didn't get 20 odd or 30 odd or a hundred odd publications overnight. Mm. That was two years of writing and showing up on brand and being relevant and being available, that was just not overnight. And I think I could have easily went, this is too hard because I did feel like at times I was doing a lot of investing with not much return, Mm. but I I knew my why. Okay. And I, because I think a lot of people say, listening to this might be going, well, well, why aren't the mark, the magazines coming to me or why aren't the newspapers coming to me? But what you're saying is, no, I wrote a lot of stuff and I, sent it to them and asked if they right. wanted to feature this and some didn't. Right. So be proactive. It's like the it's like the women that come to me and say, I can't find a partner. I'm like, what are you doing? They sitting down watching Netflix every single weekend. Well the guy doesn't just come with a pe- in like a, a nappy in a pelican's mouth and fly over your house and drop him on your lap. Doesn't happen that way. You like know. you've actually got to get up <laughs> and get it or on Bumble, right? But you're actually, even if it is on Bumble or even if it's on Tinder, you are actively doing something about your dating game. Mm-hmm. If you want to be known, if you want to be approached, you actively have to let them know that, hey, I'm here because the market's saturated. Yeah. And this is why it's so important to know your brand because what's your point of difference? Mm. Absolutely. 
So what is one myth about your profession that you would like to kind of debunk or set straight? Um, Probably the one thing that I've learned the most in my industry and what I do, that there's no normal. There is no normal in relationships. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember when I started doing relationships in a therapy scenario more so than what I do now is more of a coaching engagement. I was blown out of the water as a young European, quite traditional background with, you know, mum and dad still together. And whether you're, you know, the relationship is good or bad, you're with each other till death. So, you know, it it was very, very much an eye opener, me going into the clinic, into a therapy situation and seeing two individuals sit in front of me. And the first two clients I got, they were in an open relationship. And I was like, I was like, okay, no judgment. And then the open relationship turned into a foursome because they were in love and the other two were in love. And I'm like this traditional young girl that had those like relationships as I know it and as I've studied it. And then this is presented to me, I was blown out of the water. So from there, from, you know, people's sexual orientations to the way they do relationships, there is no normal. And I will say there's no shame in doing relationships the way that you want to do it. As long as you and the person you're in the relationship with are on the same terms, go for it. Love it. Well, I think that's a really great point to actually end on. And I'm really conscious of your time. So let's wrap up. But I'd love for you to share, you know, people, you've you've got loads of resources out there. How can people listening, how can they find you? Share um, Share your contacts. Yeah, so uh, obviously Instagram's a really easy uh, platform to get me on. So it's dr.love, so it's L-U-R-V-E. So you can follow me there, send a DM. I'm pretty good with getting back to most people. The other option is website www.drlove.com and um, there's email addresses there. You'll also find some of my programs, online programs, one-on-one coaching, um, workshops, any speaking engagements hoping to get to Dubai at some point this year. Have you been um, back or, since she left? No, I think I've been back. No, I, I've been back twice on the way to Europe. Okay. Um, but it's been at least, I think, five years and five years too long. I live through everyone that I know that lives in Dubai. I'm like, oh, I miss it so much. And I saw <laughs> Tash the other day and I used to live on the palm and I could see like the the wood exterior of the sliding doors and I was like, Tasha, are you still on the palm? And she's like, yep. And I'm like, I can tell because of all the colouring and I was like, oh, I miss it. <laughs> well, I can't wait to have the opportunity to have maybe a glass of wine with you when you're here oh, and um, explore more. So thank you so much for your time. I, I, there was so much we could have talked about, so maybe we can do a yeah. part two. But um, maybe amazing amazing thank you Kelly thanks for having me see you you later bye